Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. All right. How y'all doing? Talk to me. How you doing? All right. Well, since Pastor Tyler decided he was going to be old school this morning, I'm going to go old school. First, give an honor to God, to the pastor, to our co-pastor, to all of the elders, everyone, everyone. I just want to tell you just how good my God has been. Hey, Lord. I grew up old school, believe it or not. I might just, I might just look young, but I, I grew up in a, the old school church. So, um, But in all seriousness, um, we give honor to God for our pastor. Let's give a hand for our leadership, for our pastors. Pastor Talent, Pastor Ty, we love you. Um, and to all of you, God bless you for being here. Um, I was talking to Donovan this morning, and I was just like, where are all the people at? It's like... I'm assuming that last Sunday all the members got offended. It's like everybody got offended and they decided not to show up today and I was, or show up late. And I was like, people, like, there's people here, like, I don't know, there's none of these people. It's like, <laughs> we just growing. I'm like, he just ran everybody off and all the new people here. I'm like, something happened. On Easter Sunday, they was offended, but that's all right. That's okay. They'll be all right. Get well soon. Amen. Um, but we give honor to our pastors and to um, all of our leadership. Um, I want to give honor to my wife, Latrisa, and to um, my mother-in-law is here with us this morning. Um, I had to bring my mother-in-law to my house this weekend so that I can have some inspiration from my sermon today. <laughs> just, I'm just I love my mother-in-law, so y'all, just, that's just how I joke with her. I have to, uh, I have to, uh, I have to poke with her all the time. She tell people that um, I, she's gonna claim elder abuse against me because of how I treat her. I don't, not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not abusive. I just, you know, I just be trying to tell her the truth. She don't want to listen. That's all that is. She don't, she don't be wanting to listen. So, we have been in a series. I think I got all the formalities out of the way. Um, and so we can get into the message for those of you that don't know the sermon. Um, I was at breakfast yesterday morning with uh, Brother Marvelous. See him back there in the back with uh, their baby. Is the baby here this morning? Baby's here this morning? Got the baby here. So I was there with Marvelous and Donovan. We were fellowshipping yesterday morning. And uh, I said, y'all better not tell nobody what I'm talking about. So if any of y'all heard anything about the sermon, don't believe what you heard. They lying. All right, so we have we have been in a sermon series, um, no offense. And Pastor Tyler reached out to me a couple of weeks ago just to ask if um, you know does it say he would be continuing the series and ask if there was anything that I would have to contribute to the series. And um, honestly, um, I was like, I don't know <laughs> what more I can say because I feel like he didn't just been saying everything. He didn't been tearing us up the last couple of weeks, and I don't know what else I can add to the conversation. Um, but the Lord did give me a word this morning and I'm going to deliver it to you. And, um, it was just so fitting this morning that, um, that we, we took communion this morning and, um, it almost brought me to tears this morning because I was just like, man, God, like you have a way of just confirming to me what it is that you, that you've spoken. So we, I have a word for you. 
Um, it's going to take us back to the book of Galatians. And so you can kind of get your Bibles open. If you have your, if your paper Bible saved, you got your paper Bible. If you are uh, apostolic, you got your Apple phone. And if you are, um, if you are in rebellion, you have your, you have your Android. The wages of sin. So you'll join me in the book of Galatians, and I'm, I'm kind of just going to, if you guys know how I, I generally, some of, some of you might know how I, I tend to teach, I like to uh, kind of give a lot of context. So I'm going to take you on the scenic route, but I'm going to get to where I'm going. So I ask for your, you'll just be patient with me as I'm, as I'm walking through this, because I always believe that context is very important. Um, some of you, how many of you remember, we did a series a couple months ago, back in the month of May, uh, called Living Life. How many of you remember that series? None of y'all. That's how I know everybody uh, new here today, because they're like, did nobody raise their hand? Nobody remember the Living Life series. Y'all don't remember? Who remembers the Living Life series? Do you remember? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So you guys remember the Living Life series, and in that sermon series, we uh, walked through the book of Galatians, and um, the book of Galatians was a letter that Paul wrote to the church that was at Galatia, and he wrote this letter um, in the face of um, some Judaizers that, that had infiltrated the church that were teaching an aberrant theology. They were teaching a doctrine um, that uh, justification by faith was not the way that you was not the way that you got saved. It wasn't the way to uh, to Christ. And so Paul wrote this letter primarily to uh, counteract those teachings. Um, and he was insisting that the Gentiles had to become Jewish converts and follow the Mosaic laws. And so there were things that they had to add on to this profession of Christ in order to be saved. Now, while all of that is important in context, and again, I just gave you that little piece of information just as a background of what Galatians was talking about. Um, it's not what the Lord desired that I draw your attention to, because there's something else that we're going to find um, as we get into the text today. Um, there's something else that we're going to find um, that God wants our attention to be drawn to this morning, because while Paul was dealing with the threat of the Judaizers, the, the threat that they posed to the church of Galatia and that they were um, infiltrating this church with with false doctrine. And distorting the gospel of Christ and thereby causing there to be a falling away from the church, he was also dealing with another very real threat that we're going we're gonna to take a look at. And this is where I want you to begin to draw your attention in, in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians, the fifth, the fifth chapter. I'm just going to cover a couple of verses there. But he felt a more press, Paul felt a more pressing need to deal with Christians and, and their freedom, how some Christians had taken an opportunity to indulge themselves in their sinful, in their sinful desires. And so this is where we're going to start in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and where I'm going to make my contribution to this series. Galatians, I need to take the mic. All right. I'm turn this off. Okay. Testing. All right. So this is where we're going to give our attention to start off this morning in Galatians, the fifth chapter, starting with the 14th verse. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Now, Paul had been talking about this whole connection to to the law um, and the fact that we didn't have to follow 
follow the law, that we were no longer under the law. But he says here, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This scripture really has far reaching implications because it's, it's a scripture that we quote all the time. It's a scripture that we know. We say, well, what is the greatest commandment? Um, and the, we know that the, there, there are really two of those that we love the Lord. But the second of those is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so it's easy to kind of read that scripture and we gloss over. We have a muscle memory. We can quote it. But when you look at this scripture more closely, it has a more far reaching implication. It's kind of going to segue into what I want to deal with today. And that is that we don't have the ability to love others. We only have the ability to love others as we love ourselves. But that requires a deeper level of understanding of ourselves. So what's implied here is that we show how much love we have for ourselves by how we love other people, by how we love other people. So beyond this simple scripture that we sometimes quote robotically, just out of this, out of our, out of our knowledge, because we've heard it so many times, there's a more far reaching and far pressing thing on the heart of God that, that he wants us to draw ourselves to. And that is our need to examine ourselves, because how can you know how to love others unless you know how to love yourself? And how do you know how you love yourself if you don't know yourself? You don't know how you love yourself. And so over the last couple of years, I'll say I've noticed something that has been quite disturbing, a quite disturbing trend in the body of Christ over the last couple of years. And it's what Paul refers to in this in this next verse in Galatians 15. I'm sorry, Galatians five and verse 15. He says, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye not be consumed by one another. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you not be consumed by one another. The current state of turmoil that we see in the body of Christ is a result, not a result of an outside attack on the church. It's a result of vicious attack by people who are so-called members of the church. And you'll notice this that I noticed, as I noticed, um, during, especially during the pandemic, we saw a, a big rise in hit piece blogs and videos and Facebook posts. And we're, we're not very direct people, so we don't deal with, with our, the problems that we have with each other. We don't deal with those things directly. We choose to take to social media and other platforms in order to uh, deal with those things. And it's really indicative of what's what happens when we walk, it's really indicative of how when we walk in a spirit of offense. And we've been dealing with offense through this. And so when we walk in a spirit of offense instead of love, this really is showing what happens when we do that. While we're asking for a greater manifestation of the presence of God, we've struggled to follow the basics of what he's asking and required for us to do. Because that scripture might come off as something that's very basic to you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But I, I feel that we fail to understand what that scripture really means. And so it's why this series has so, been so necessary. And today I want to contribute to this series something that I believe the Lord has placed upon my heart. And so if you would just kind of turn your page or swipe over if you got your iPhone or go to a different app if you got your Android. Um, 
in the, in the book of Galatians and the sixth chapter, starting at the first verse, and we're going to read in the New King James Version, so I'll be between a couple of versions this morning. The scripture says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. The title of my sermon today is going to be Consider Yourself. Consider yourself. Consider yourself. And so in order for us to get where, where I believe that God wants us to be this morning, it's going to require that I kind of work through a couple of definitions of, of some uh, key ideas and concepts that are introduced in this scripture. And it's really starting at the, at the first verse where Paul says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That word trespass is, is synonymous with a sin. It describes an, um, an, a, an offense, a wrongdoing, a violation of a moral law or, God, or, or transgression. And so when Paul is, is talking about, about this, he's saying if a person is caught in a sin, he now refers to your duty as a so-called Christian that you restore a person. So he says, you that are, that are spiritual, and, and, and to give context for that, in the fifth chapter, he kind of lays out um, the characteristics of those who, who are operating in the flesh and the characteristics of those that are operating in the spirit. And one of the things that, that he says that characterizes the spiritual person is the spirit of gentleness, the spirit of gentleness. So he says, you that are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, considering yourself. But what we're called to do is to restore. We're called to restore. Now, this word means literally that we're, we're to repair. It refers to a, a broken, as it was, a, as it were, a broken limb of the body. And so we would, we would be repairing that part of the body. And that actually has a process. That has a process. So we're going to talk about the biblical process to restoration. We're going to talk about the biblical process of restoration. You can put up that next slide. The biblical process of restoration first says, and this is according to Matthew, the 18th chapter, and starting at the, the 15th verse. Matthew, the 18th chapter and the 15th verse. It says... If a brother and sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. And so the first step that we, must, that we have to take when we are pursuing the biblical process of restoration is that we go tell a person their fault in private. Now this probably, this probably hit a lot of people on the head first, because the first thing that some of us do is not go to the person that we have defense with. We post it online. 
We do our little exposés, our little videos. We text somebody else, we go to somebody else and we talk about them. But the scripture, the scriptural way that we seek for the restoration of a person is that we go show them their faults in private. And it moves on to say in the 16th verse, it says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is really keeping in step with the process that was established in Deuteronomy, I believe it was around the 19th chapter, that there was no matter that was established in the Bible except there were two or more witnesses. And so this is really keeping in step with that process that if you have made the attempt to go to your brother or your sister who you have found to be in a fault and you have tried to point out their fault to them, that then if they're not listening to you, you now go and get some other brothers or sisters or spiritual people and you seek for the restoration of that person. And the scripture moves on to say that if that does not work, then in the, eight, in the 17th verse, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. If he refuses to listen to you and the people that you have taken with you to bring about the restoration of his brother, it says, take, them, take it to the church. Now, we don't see that a lot in the church today. Now, how many of you have actually seen that process played out in the church today? Probably one person that raised their hand, two, three, that have seen that process played out in the church, today, but we don't see it often. I don't know in all of my years of being in the church, I'm 37 years old, I've ever seen a person that this process has been carried out by the book. But the process of restoring a person, according to the Bible says, that you are to first go to the person that you have found to be in the fault, and you are to tell them their fault in private, not to go to anybody else, not to post it to social media, but you go to them and you tell them what they did wrong. Now, the reason how most of us are afraid of that part really boils down to being cowardice. Because I can see a person in fault and it's easier for me to get on social media and take to Facebook and make a subliminal post talking about somebody and nobody knows what I'm referring to than it is for me to go to the person face to face and say, I saw you in this. I saw you doing this. I saw you here. I saw you doing that. I noticed it's easier for us to go to somebody else and talk about it than it is for us to go to a person and do that. So most of us violate that process because the offender is not the first person that we address. We address people that it has nothing to do with. And this is part of the toxicity that I've noticed in the church is because we don't view it as our responsibility to follow a biblical process. We're more concerned with the exposure of a person. This is a culture that's been consumed with exposing people. And really the reason why we, we become so comfortable with that, I really feel like, is because we don't do enough self-examination. We haven't looked at ourselves enough. It was, it was, I found it very fitting that we did, we took communion this morning, 
And one of the things that we're commanded to do before we take communion is to examine ourselves. You examine yourselves to see where you're at with respect to your confession, the profession of your faith, and where are you in Christ when you take communion. It's not just, you know, I'm getting these crackers and eating it, you know, drinking this juice, eating these crackers, but it's, it's, you're to examine yourselves. It brings us to a place of sobriety where we say, where am I in my Christian walk? Where am I in relationship to God? Where am I in relationship to my, bro my brothers and sisters? Because we're also commanded that if you come to the house of worship and remember that you have a, something against a brother and sister, guess what? God doesn't even want your worship. The Bible says, leave your gift at the altar and do what? Go to your brother and reconcile. And so I think there's, there's a plethora of scriptures we can probably reference that encourages us to deal directly with the offenses and the faults that we have with others. That does not involve us getting people involved that have nothing to do with it because now you've now tainted someone else's opinion about somebody based upon your experience with them. And the thing about the experiences that you have with people is that all experiences are not shared. I may experience you, Sister Carla, in a way that somebody else doesn't. They might experience you a different way. I don't invalidate your experience of them based upon mine, but you shouldn't invalidate mine based upon yours. And so we don't have a responsibility to tear somebody else down in the eyes of somebody else. And that's really the danger that we fall into. It's really the danger that we fall into when we don't follow the biblical process to restoration. When we don't follow the biblical process of dealing with the offenses that we have, we run the risk of, as it said in Galatians 5 and 15, that we wound up not only biting and devouring, but we consume the whole body. He said, make sure that in your biting and devouring, not to say that was acceptable, but that you don't consume one another that we don't consume each other in our offenses. And that's what we have a tendency to do. You get everybody else involved and now everybody's offended because that's my relationship. That's my, you know, that's my boy, that's my girl. So now everybody's offended. So we gossip, we post about it, we make videos about it. We do everything but follow the biblical process for what God says we're supposed to do. What the scripture does say is that we're commanded, and what we're commanded to do is restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That is humility. Your ability to love and restore hinges upon the right estimation of yourself. So why it says love your neighbor as yourself is why I said in the beginning that your ability to love others means that you have to have done that self-examination to understand what you feel about yourself. You have to have the right estimation of yourself. Humility is a right estimation of who you are. It's not an overestimation of yourself. It's not an underestimation of yourselves. The overestimation of yourself generally comes from your comparison to other people. You don't spend time comparing yourself where you should. You spend time comparing yourself to somebody else. And so the reason why it's so easy sometimes for us to, to judge somebody else is because we can easily say, well, that's not me, and I didn't commit that sin, and I didn't do that. 
As Pastor Tyler preached a couple weeks ago, I'm not like him. I'm glad that I'm not like them. That's not me. That's not my sin. And so just because we have not done that does not mean that we're not guilty of something. So this word humility means that we rightly estimate ourselves. We rightly valued who we are. It's not overestimation and it's not an underestimation of yourselves. And you cannot restore people with an over-exaggerated sense of your self-importance. It's impossible to restore anybody with an over-exaggerated sense of self-importance. When you judge people from a place of superiority, when you think that you're better than somebody else, you can't restore them. I wanna point your attention to something that God says even more than anything what he hates. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, 16th verse through 19 verse says, these six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are an abomination to him. The very first thing on that list, what is it? A proud look. The spirit that makes, I think I put this on here in the amplified version because I like the way that that reads, it says, the spirit that makes one overestimate himself or underestimate others. God hates it. He hates your pride. He hates the proud look. That part of you that makes you look at other people and think that you're better than them, that they're less than you. God says, I hate that. Goes on to say, a lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood a heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans, feet that are swift and running to evil. God says he hates that. A false witness that, who breathes out lies even under oath, and he who sows discord amongst the brethren. We're to restore in the spirit of gentleness, watch this, considering yourself, considering yourself. Now, that, the Greek word for that word consider is um, skopeo, and it's the word that we get the word scope from. And the meaning of that word is it implies examination. It implies that there must be examination. So when he's saying that there's a need for you to consider yourself, it means that there's a need for you to inspect yourselves. It's not an invitation to judgment. You see a brother or sister caught in the sin, it's not an invitation for you to judge and make an assessment of they're going, to, they're going to hell. It's not your place. What it is, is an invitation for you to consider yourself. And I found that interesting when I was studying this, that he said, you restore them in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself. So at the same time that you're observing this, you should also be considering yourself. You should also be looking at yourself. I found, I, I had a couple of instances of this uh, this week at work and you know, it's, it's as simple as um, I walked into the break room at work and I saw one of our fiscal staff in the break room on his phone. And I'm like, man, I know I sent this person this email and I sent them that email and I sent them this and I'm that. And this dude in here on his cell phone, he could answer, he could have responded to my email. And I didn't even get good out the door to break room for the Lord was just like, but what about the time you waste? 
What about the time you spend on your phone when you should be dedicating your time to the job that you're being paid to do? You want full pay for a full day's work, but you spend time on your cell phone when you should be working. And so if we are in a right place with God, we learn to rightly estimate who we are and where we are. And it's not so easy for us to find ourselves judging others because I'm I'm intimately aware of where I'm at. And so I don't got time to be looking at you and making any type of judgment assessment about you because I got enough to deal with myself. I don't have time to judge you because I'm spending time looking at myself. How we handle our offending brothers and sisters tells us more about ourselves than it does about them. How you handle people who are caught in a fault tells you more about who you are. That's what this scripture is telling us. You restore them considering yourselves because in the end it will tell you more about who you are than it, is, than it will about who they are. So I want to talk about three reasons why we avoid self-examination and why it's so easy for us to become judgmental. Three reasons. I had to consult my wife about this. I know my wife's a therapist, so she tries to um, be that to me sometimes. And you know, She's so successful with everybody else. She just be like telling me all these success stories all the time. And she's just like, my client told me this today and they were able to do this and they made these games. She's like, but I tried on my own husband and my own family and don't nobody listen to me. <laughs> I'm like, join the club. Jesus said the same thing. I came to my own and they didn't receive me. I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm your husband, not your client. <laughs> Project, I love her. Um, one of the first reasons that I find that we avoid that we avoid self-examination and that we're so easily drawn to judgment is pride. It's pride. You're afraid to be honest with yourself about where you are. You're afraid to be honest with people about where you are. And so instead, you spend your time living in comparison to other people to avoid thinking about where you are. And so you spend time in pride, compare yourselves to others. It's an innate urge that we have to be better than or to be right and somebody else be wrong, to be better than somebody else. It's innate, but it's an urge that we have to learn to deal with in the right way. Pride really then becomes the the maintenance mechanism for the false sense of identity that we have embraced, like that Ohio State Buckeye sitting back there. And the, uh, oh yeah, y'all too, but I'm talking about the one that's sitting back there in the red that deliberately came in here with the Ohio State uh, sweatshirt on when I had to preach. I don't, I don't even know why he, you know. Renisha, get your son, get your son. And told him to come up here with that Ohio State stuff and see how, see how offended that just made me. I just drew my attention. I had to call. I told it to the church because I told you in private, stop wearing that Ohio State. I told you, I told you you're saying in private. I don't even know if he hear me. He got AirPods in his ears. He don't even hear me. Pride becomes, 
Pride becomes a maintenance mechanism for a false sense of identity that we've embraced about ourselves. And so you protect that identity by operating out of a false sense of, of pride, false sense of pride. The second reason why we don't, we're not quick to examine ourselves and operate in judgment is because unresolved, unresolved. This is an unresolved, unresolved. It's an unresolved experience or pain that reminds you of something. So you see somebody in a fault and it's a painful reminder to you about what you also dealt with. Or I would say something that you've done that you've not dealt with. Because that's what the word unresolved means. It means that somebody did something and it reminds you about yourself and the fact that you've not become resolved in where you were and what you did. You're still stuck in shame about a sin you committed, an act that you did years ago. Now, some of y'all had to brace yourself and clutch your pearls because you heard the Freak Nick documentary was coming out. and just praying that you weren't caught in the video because you have not resolved that, man, that was me. But in a very serious sense, we know things about ourselves and when we don't deal with those things and we're unresolved with those things, it's easier for us to then judge other people because of what we know about it, because I know it was wrong. So I'm gonna spend my time judging somebody else instead of taking an attitude of humility, instead of being real with other people about ourselves, because instead of me going to somebody and telling like, you know you wrong and you shouldn't have been on there shaking your tail feather and doing all that. <laughs> instead of us going to a person and saying, you know what, I've been there. That was me, because the Bible does say, such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been cleansed. It's a call for you to remember where you were. And I think if we spend more time examining where we were and what we did, we don't have time to look at where somebody else was and what they did. So it feels safer for us to judge somebody else than it is for us to deal with the uncomfortable truths about who we are and where we've been and what we've done. So we don't acknowledge the truth. We don't self-reflect because those are painful experiences, painful places. Did I get that right? Wife? No? Okay. All right. <laughs> The third thing is, is familiar, familiarity. So if unresolved is a place, familiarity is how we arrive at that place of unresolved. It's how we arrive at that place of unresolved. It's too uncomfortable for us to examine certain places in our lives. And there's things that happen that you find that you have some, some way of identifying with that, even if you don't know what that thing is. But it brings a painful sense of it's some uncomfortable feeling that you have about it. And so 
when those uncomfortable realities are brought up about yourself, it's not something that you want to address, and so you avoid it altogether. But once we know what those things are and we refuse to deal with them, that's when you go to a state of being unresolved because you haven't gone back and dealt with that place of shame that you were in. You didn't go back and deal with that, that sin that you committed against somebody else, your brother or sister. You don't go back and deal with that. And I really feel that what the Lord is impressing and, and speaking to those who are here this morning is you gotta go back to those places and confront them. Because if we're really going to be the witness to the world, we've got to deal with our places of shame. The things that have brought us shame because we can't be a witness to them if we act like we don't have no dirt. You act like you've never sinned. Never done nothing wrong. I, I am uncomfortable by the idea that some people think that I'm holy. That, you know, like, in a sense, some people think I'm perfect. You know, some people might think, like, he, he know his Bible back and forth. He know this stuff. But I've been some places. Where you been, Alex? Been around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been somewhere. One day, I will tell you where I've been. But I've been some places and done some things. And it's helpful for people to understand that we've had those experiences because it's easy for people to avoid being a part of something like a church when they feel like everybody here is perfect. Y'all are just perfect people. Don't nobody here do nothing wrong. But it's because we, we don't do what the scripture says that we're supposed to do. It says, confess your faults one to another and do what? Do what? This is how I know you don't read your Bible. Now, I ain't pointing at nobody, but if I hit you, I didn't intend to miss you. If you don't know what that scripture says, that's problematic. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. The only way that healing comes about is that you confess and that there's prayer. But you can't pray for somebody that you're secretly trying to destroy and tear down. So familiarity, the fact that you see something in somebody else that reminds you of something about yourself, even if you don't know what that is, should bring more of a sense of self-awareness and acknowledgement that you've been there, that you've been somewhere, and it's okay to admit that. But the reason why we can't avoid self-examination is because when we refuse to do so, then what the scripture says, it says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. So when you fail to properly examine where you are, where you've been, how you're dealing with your brother, then it's not just your brother that has been caught in a fault. You now run the risk of being tempted. What does that word tempted mean? So it's, again, I'm saying it's very important that we, we conceptualize what this means. And it's a twofold definition. What temptation means is that there's a truth about yourself that's going to be revealed. But that's going to be revealed through a trial that's going to ascertain the true nature of who you are. 
which means that when you find yourselves judging somebody instead of operating out of a sense of gentleness, you're now subjecting yourselves to a trial of your own character, of your own character. So when we don't have that critical time of examining where we are, how we're operating with regards to our brothers and sisters because we're called to serve one another. We're not examining our attitudes and our behaviors. It says, now you're gonna be the subject of a trial now. And your imperfections and your faults are now gonna be revealed. But guess what? It's not the same as everybody else, which is why you can't compare yourselves to everybody else. I don't have a right to compare myself to anybody else because my struggle is different. And I'm going to give you proof for that. James, the first chapter, James, 14 to 15 verses says this, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by, what does it say? His own lust. Not somebody else's, your own which means inside of every person sitting in this building is lust. Everybody in here, y'all got some lust in. Now, I said lust and most of y'all thought sexual, right? But lust, by definition, is an insatiable appetite for something. And so lust for everybody doesn't look like sex. For some people, it looks like money. For some people, it looks like fame. Whatever your thing is, whatever that thing is that Satan, if he put a hook in you, like, like I said, I was talking to the brother just I said, everybody got a type. If you're confronted by the right thing, you might find yourself being drawn away or lured by it. Everybody's temptation is not the same. You all have your own temptations. So it says each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's going to be something that appeals to you. It's going to be something that's very specific to you. But he says then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now you've gone from temptation, being tempted, to now being an offender. You've gone from being tempted to being the offender. Why are you judging the offender? Why are you judging your brother, the offender? You've gone from now being the Christian brother and sister that's supposed to restore them to being now in a situation where you're being tempted and your character's on trial to now being a person who's an offender because you now find yourself in sin because you were drawn by something that enticed you. So Satan is never going to come at you with something that does not appeal to you. It's tailor-made. He's not going to bring you something you don't like. He's going to bring you something you absolutely love. So when you won't be truthful and acknowledge your faults, you subject yourselves now to a fact or a fault-finding process. When we don't ourselves. So the remedy to this we find in the second verse. In the second verse of Galatians 6, Paul says, 
bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we just last week acknowledged the sacrifice of Christ. Two things that we acknowledge is that we thank God that it wasn't me. Like you, you realize the implication of what Christ did is he literally died in your place for your space in the kingdom. Like he died. He took the punishment, as I like to say, God took, Jesus took a whooping for all of us. What kind of whooping was that? My parents used to say, I'm going to whoop you for old and new. Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> Did y'all ever hear about that? Whose parents have ever said that to them? I'm, I'm going to beat you for old and new. I'm whooping you for old and new. I mean, the stuff that you did today and the stuff I can think about that you did in the past, I'm going to whoop. Now, that, that was a bad whooping. Because it's like, it's like, you know, you say, like, the more that you think, the more you think. I'm like, the more you think, the more I'm going to get whooped. The more you, the more you think, the more I'm going to get thumped. <laughs> so, I'm going to get a worse whooping every time they think. Every time they hit me, they're going to think about something else that I did. They're going to whoop me for that, too. And my mom used to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to whoop you for old and new. I'm going to get you for old and new. But he commands us to bear one another's burdens, and that's how we fulfill the law of Christ, because that's the example we have set from Christ, is that he bore our sins and our burdens, our offenses. When he went on the cross for something he didn't do, he took it for us. So he bore our burdens, and so we're commanded as people who are so-called Christians and we're Christ-like that you're to do the same thing. That we don't take on the sins of people, but we help them carry it. We don't judge people, but we, we come alongside them and we bear them up. We don't judge them. We don't tear them down and talk about them. We bear their burdens. He compels us to bear the burdens. And that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. That's the summation of the law. To love people as you love yourself, then you deal with them as you would want to be dealt with. As you would want to be dealt with. So when you are operating out of love, then that burden doesn't feel like a burden. It's more of a labor of love that you have for them because you love your brother. I want you to come back into the fold. And so the way I'm going to restore you is in gentleness and humility because I'm going to think about myself and I'm going to think about the fact that that was me and I was deserving of the same, the same punishment. I was sinking deep in sin, far from a... Then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love is a lift. It's a labor of love. So the true strength of a believer is shown in the weakness of another. You don't show your strength by flaunting your pride. It's not how you show your strength. You show it by humbling yourself and shouldering the burdens, bearing the infirmities of the weak. Romans 15, 1 through 3 says, when we're strong, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good and good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, 
But as it was written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Christ died for something he didn't even do. And he didn't please himself even when he was in the garden and he prayed, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. He said, nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. He died for what is said, the joy that was set before him. And guess who, who was that joy? You. He was able to bear that burden because you were the joy. You were the one that he was after. You were the one that he wanted. Next scripture in Galatians 6, 3 says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Self-deception is a handmaiden of pride. When you allow yourself to believe that something is not true, it helps you to feed that spirit of pride. But the fourth verse says each one must examine his own work and then he will have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. If you're ever going to come to a place of resolve, I'm saying this in closing. If you're ever going to come to a place of resolve, you won't arrive there through comparison. You only arrive there by sitting at the foot of the cross. You're only going to arrive there through consideration of yourself, not compared to somebody else, not compared to what they're experiencing, but compared to Jesus Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. I want to invite you to stand as we conclude. And I'm not going to necessarily, or I will, a prayer team to come forward. And we're going to do a practical exercise in that, bearing the burdens of our brothers and sisters. And this is why we pray, because it's what the Bible commanded us to do. We pray, we restore each other in a spirit of humility. And so if you know that you've fallen in that category of, I got some sins, I got some things that I need to just give up to the Lord. This is a time when you can come down to the altar and receive prayer for that thing because we're gonna have somebody that's going to agree with you in prayer for that situation. That's gonna agree with you in prayer for your deliverance and for your freedom from that thing. And so I'd invite you if you need prayer, you know that that message spoke to you, that you come to the altar at this time. And it's okay, because really, if we rightly examined ourselves, you know who should be at the altar? Everybody. We wouldn't spend our time looking around the room trying to figure out who went, who went up there, or what sin they got in their life. I wonder what sin they got. I wonder what they did. Because when we truly examine our own selves, we say, you know what? I got enough stuff to deal with on my own and I need to be there. Doesn't say anything bad about you. It just means that you're, you're in the right place. You're rightly aligning yourselves with, with God. And as long as you profess that it's him that you need and it's him that you're trying to be like, 
He's going to meet you at that place of need. And so I'm inviting you again. The Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart to come to the altar to receive prayer. That you take advantage of this opportunity to squash that sense of pride in yourself. To squash that sense of over-exaggeration of yourselves and to rightly examine who you are, where you are. And come to the altar and receive prayer so that you can receive your healing. That's not you. What I want you to do is join hands with somebody that is standing next to you. And we'll have a very practical time of bearing those burdens. And so I want you to join hands with the person that is next to you. And I want you to share something with them that you need prayer for. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray about that. So go ahead and share with those people, or just one other person, what it is that you need prayer for. What is it that you need prayer for? Let's be obedient. Let's share with each other. What is it that you need prayer for? Because I can't pray for a problem and I don't know that you have one. I can't bear a burden that I don't know is yours, that you have. So this is something we have to become comfortable with. So let's take a moment and share with that person that you're joining hands with something that you need prayer for. you've taken that time to now that you've taken that time to share now we're going to enter into a time of prayer and we're going to bear those burdens we're going to bear those burdens and we're going to seek for your healing let us go forth to God in prayer Father we thank you for perfect sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ on the cross for us thank you Lord that your son bore our burdens he bore our griefs and our shames so that we didn't have to bear them and father we come before you acknowledging that there is something that we're experiencing and that we're dealing with right now that is too much for us to handle and we ask you Lord right now that you will be faithful to your word that said that if we would confess our faults one to another and pray one for another, that we might be healed. So, Father, I pray that you will release your healing in this room. I pray that you would release your healing for those friendships, for those relationships in our personal lives, that you would bring healing, spiritual healing, physical healing healing in those relationships to our lives. Restore us, Lord God, now to right relationship with you and right relationship with each other. Father, we cast down and we renounce every over-exaggerated feeling that we have of ourselves. Father, we look to you as our standard, as our 
as our perfect definition, as our perfect example of what we should be and what we are to be. We ask you, Lord God, that you would make us more like you. Make us more like you. Make us more like you. We lay down our pride. 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 We release our pride right now. Give us a spirit of humility. Give us the ability, Lord God, to consider ourselves. Give us the ability to examine ourselves. And I pray right now, Lord God, that you would wipe all, all of the shame that is associated with the places we've been and the things that we've done. That you're erasing our shame. And that you are giving us a newfound sense of acceptance of what you've called us to be, what you have called us to. I thank you, Father, that you've deemed us as worthy. I thank you, Father, that you have deemed us as worthy of your sacrifice and of what you've called us to. So, Father, we embrace your definition of, which, of who you've called us to be. And we pray for the hands that we hold that they would be everything that you call them to be. And, Father, we commit ourselves even now afresh to rightly examining ourselves and to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Father, we thank you for your promises and for what even in this moment you've done and that you accomplished. Let this word, Lord God, take root in our hearts and let us bring forth an abundant harvest in our lives. We thank you for the harvest that is coming to our lives, to the harvest that is coming to this church as a result of your word and your plan. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Put your hands together for the word of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.